Good morning. My kids keep looking at me going, Dad, it's just so freaky. It's the same voice, but it's a different face. Uh, It's kind of weird for me, too, when I look in the mirror, I have to say. (laughs) Hey, uh, that was the coolest uh, Santana version of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Wasn't that awesome? That was... That was really neat. I could sing that every week here in Advent. Wow, what a blessing. Let's just pray for a moment. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for how you're working. Thank you so much that Advent is about you. It's about you coming in power to this earth. In, in a sense, a quiet, calm, tiny, baby-like power but a power that's going to change the world, that did change the world, that is still changing the world. Thank you that we have the privilege of worshiping you like the angels do. And and just thinking about this today, may we be encouraged today. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be here and be active today. We pray that your word will be honored today. We pray that our hearts will be open today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I encourage you to open up your Bibles to the first chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 5 through 25. Luke chapter 1, 5 through 25. If you didn't bring your own Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you there. Should be a very close translation. Listen, this is God's word for us today. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both well advanced in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, 
I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, so much for your holy word. Thank you for this fascinating little story right here at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. We pray that you will speak to us through it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Bill. <laughs> nice to see all of you. Um, it's Advent, which means it's the beginning of a new year, the beginning of a new Christian year. This is sort of start over time. People have been asking me, does this mean you're going to have a beard? No, no beard. The answer is no. <laughs> I didn't really enjoy having <clears throat> to shave this morning. That was sort of a scary experience. <clears throat> But it's a new time, a new, a new time in the, in the year of the, uh, of, of the church. It's the starting over time. This is when the church year starts. This is when we begin to prepare, prepare for the coming of the Lord. I wonder, um, have you ever kind of been waiting for something? Waiting for a relationship to reconnect? I think about being disconnected from a close friend. I have a close friend that I haven't connected to here for, um, for several years. Uh, it's not that he's that far away. It's just that he's been busy and, uh, and sick, and, and I've been busy. And um, I think that between the combinations of that and family and, and obligations and uh, jobs that are going in opposite directions, I just haven't connected with him for a couple of years. You know what? I miss him. I miss him. I uh, determined because I was writing the sermon, man, I'm really going to reach out to him. I really want to reconnect with him. Have you ever felt disconnected from someone like that? Maybe someone comes to your mind. How about this? Have you ever felt disconnected from God? Have you ever felt like maybe you haven't really heard from God for a while? Or maybe you haven't been tuned in to, to try to listen. You realize you've been so busy that you haven't listened very carefully. Or maybe you're trying to hear, but you just don't seem to hear anything at all. Nothing seems to get through. What would it mean for you to reconnect with that friend on a <clears throat> surprising kind of way? Just, wow, all of, a, all of a sudden. And what would it mean for you to reconnect with God? Especially if you happen to be in a place right now where maybe you've never connected to God in a significant way, or you have, but it's been a while, and you really have a direct connection with God. What would that be like? 
Would you find it encouraging? Would you find it maybe threatening? A little bit scary to reconnect with God in some kind of direct way? What would it mean for our world if we sensed that God was reaching out to us and connecting with us as a world? That God was here to help us out, help us out in the midst of all the crazy things that are happening in our world right now. Right now, you and I could list many, many things that are going on in the world that we are dismayed about, that we're concerned about, that we sense that we need some direction from God. We need some hope from God. We need some intervention from God. Well, at the beginning of the New Testament here, there's been a period of 400 years of silence 400 years for the Jewish people in which there was no prophet who showed up. There was nobody who came by and said, I have a word from the Lord. There was no message. There was nothing at all from God except what they already had, the scriptures they already had, the practices that they already had, their religious practices. They were just kind of holding steady and still believing, but not hearing anything fresh. And suddenly, right at the beginning of this book in Luke, God starts to communicate with his people again, and he does it through angels. First of all, we see an angel showing up to the old priest Zechariah, and that's what we're going to explore today. Over the next three weeks, we're going to explore how an angel showed up to a teenage girl named Mary, to uh, a man named Joseph, And to finally to some scruffy shepherds living out in the fields, a whole host of angels showed up for them. We're going to explore God's interaction with people. And hopefully we're going to hone our own listening skills for how God is speaking to us and speaking to the world. I want to say to you, first of all, that angels are messengers from God. Angel, or angelos in the Greek, literally means messenger. God was suddenly communicating again, and his news that he brings is beyond belief. He's coming to be with his people in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. He's coming to earth in human form. But first, he has to prepare his people, and he's going to do that by fulfilling Old Testament prophecy that's going to come through, through this young baby who's being predicted today in this scripture This baby is not Jesus who's being predicted. It's John. It's John the Baptist, Jesus' relative, whose uh, goal and purpose is to announce the coming of the Messiah. It's kind of like knowing your whole life that you're there for someone else. Sometimes uh, parents realize that over time when they realize, wow, I'm, I'm here to really help these children grow up and become followers of Jesus Christ. Sometimes spouses realize that, wow, I'm really here to be a blessing in this person's life and to, and to help them grow and to love them. Sometimes children realize that with looking at their parents as the children mature. Wow, one of my purposes here is to bless these people who brought me into the world. Sometimes neighbors realize that. No matter who you are, what role you play, God has a message coming from an angel to his people, the Jews, in ancient times, but also to us today. He's preparing them to hear about this good news that is good news even for us, even 
this day. And God sends his A-team. He sends his number one communicators. He sends his angels to bring this message. Now, real angels are not anything like what we see in the gift shops today, okay? Just want to reinforce this. They're not cute. They're not plump. They're not dimpled. They're not children. They're not Cupid doll cherubs. They really aren't. They're not fluffy and kind. They're not non-judgmental. They show up in power. They're awesome. They're terrifying. They're holy. They're 100% on God's side. And if you happen to be needing more of a rebuking rather than an encouragement, they're ha- encouragement, they're happy to deliver that to you. They're not here to make you feel good. They're here to let you know that God is at work. Gabriel, the angel sent in this story, testifies that he stands in the presence of God. Friends, no human being who encounters the presence of God in the Bible is left standing. We think about Ezekiel, who lies stunned for seven days after he encounters the presence of the living God. For seven days, he lies by a canal in Babylon, in current day Iraq, just lying there blown away by the presence of God. But Gabriel stands in the presence of God. This is not a sign that he is somehow uh, not worshipful to the Lord, but he is very different than we are. Gabriel also appears to the prophet Daniel over 500 years before this particular passage, and he's going to appear to Mary a few months later. Angels are decidedly not human. They are created beings but they're not people, you will not become an angel when you die. And you will not get your wings like Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life. It's a, it's a fun story, isn't it? And, and I'm not dissing the story because I love it, but friends, it's not good theology. It's Hollywood theology, which is fun, but not true. We're not uh, headed to get our wings Angels and human beings are totally separate. We know that there are thousands upon thousands of angels. We know that they can appear like humans sometimes. And sometimes that's just sort of a normal appearance that a person interacts with one without hardly even knowing it. And sometimes they appear dazzling, radiant, uh, just terrifying to the people who encounter them. Their functions include worship and praise of God, They bring messages, they guide people, they provide for the needs of people, they protect people, they strengthen and encourage folks. It goes on and on. And in our story today, Gabriel appears to Zechariah to deliver a very important message. The context here is that Zechariah is serving the Lord as a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. That means that he and Elizabeth live either in the city or just outside, close by, so that he can perform his priestly functions. And it says here in our text that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, what I want you to know is that does not mean that they are perfect. 
It does not mean that they are sinless. It does not mean that they are somehow better than you or me. It just means that they loved the Lord. They were good people. They desired to be obedient to what God did. When they were wrong, they offered their sacrifices and asked for forgiveness just like you and I do. They were people whose hearts were set on following the Lord. My question to you today is, are you of that description? I'm not asking if you're perfect. I'm asking if when you think about your life, are you oriented towards following the Lord? So that when you sin, you would say, God, I know that's one of the things that I'm struggling with. I'm here to confess. I want to be right with you. I want to get back in track, on track with you. Are you a person, not who's perfect, but who desires to follow the Lord, who's righteous in the sight of God, in the sight of God, in God's opinion, righteous? And we know that that is not possible on our good works. It's possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. And we uh, also uh, theologically argue that the work of Christ works backwards in time to cover people like Zechariah and Elizabeth and others who did all that they knew that was available to them at their time to be right in the sight of God. Well, that is the people we are dealing with. And Zechariah is here in the temple performing his duty. If we just have a picture of the temple here, this is just a little quick drawing which I think is uh, helpful to understand what's going on. And the, the sort of the big outer area uh, is the Gentile area. It's where anybody could come to uh, participate from a distance, in a sense, uh, in, in temple worship. Once you enter that court of Israel, this is a place where only male Jews were allowed. And in this place, the altar, altar of burnt offering was a place where uh, people offered their offerings, the priests did it for them, for uh, the sake of their sins. And they would come and, uh, and, uh, and make that offering. If you move into the next section, the holy place, this is the place where Zechariah was on this occasion. It has the table of showbread up at the top. It has the seven-branched lampstand, the menorah down uh, at the bottom. And in the middle, in the central point, is the altar of incense. Now, this is not the innermost place, the Holy of Holies, where the altar, the Ark of the Covenant was, uh, where the uh, pot of manna and, and Aaron's rod and all these things were located. That's like the sacred place that only one priest enters once a year on uh, um, the altar. Oh, am I supposed to be paying attention to you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Once a year. Anyway, Zechariah is coming to do what is done twice a day, once in the morning and once at night. He's coming to offer the, uh, the, the offering, uh, the special incense offering. It happened in the morning, in the evening, at the same time that burnt offerings were officially being made outside. It was a special incense made of four special spices which were not to be used in the same combination for any other reason. So in other words, <coughs> excuse me, for, uh, they, they weren't allowed to say, hmm, wow, this smells good. Maybe I'll go home and cook this up at home and, you know, dab it on for aftershave. No, 
They weren't, they weren't, that this was the special offering uh, incense that was used only for this. It represented the prayers of the people going up to God. So Zechariah has gone into the temple. This is probably not the only time he's done this in his life. Um, but he's part of the elite group of people who are allowed to do this. And while he's making this offering, this incense is going up before the Lord. Suddenly, the angel Gabriel shows up. Have you ever been startled thinking that you're alone and then finding out you're not? I remember um, walking one day, hiking, and um, just I had been by myself all day long. And I was having a conversation with myself. I was talking to myself. I'm an extrovert. This is how I think. I tend to think out loud. And uh, I'm just talking to myself. I'm talking away, jabbering away. And I look up, and there's a guy standing right there on the trail with this big grin on his face. He's just smiling at me. I mean, I had no idea he was there. And I'm having this conversation. I can't remember if I was talking to the Lord or if I was just talking in my own mind about what I was thinking about. He's like, hi. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I was startled. I thought I was alone, but it turns out that he was there. Now, for Zechariah, it says he is startled by the fact that there's a person there. Remember, there's never a person there. This is this priestly duty that only a priest is allowed to do, only one person at a time, twice a day. He was never, nobody has ever in the history of, of being priests going into the altar of incense encountered a person, another person in this place. He's the only one. And so he is startled by the fact that this person is standing here. And it also says that he's gripped with fear. Gripped with fear. This is not unusual for uh, folks who encounter angels. Gabriel's first words are, don't be afraid. (laughs) Just calm down, buddy going to be okay. Don't be afraid. And then maybe something that seems a little bit unusual. Might the message now be, God is here or something like that. Nope. Don't be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. Your prayers have been answered. Now, what he's about to tell him is that he's going to have a son. But remember Zechariah and Elizabeth are described as well advanced in years. You know what that means. They're old. They're old, but it's just a nice way, right, of saying they're well advanced in years. They're not expecting, nobody is expecting that a child would be coming. So if you're quite a bit older and you haven't had the child yet, I would suspect that any prayer for a child is most likely a prayer that was said long ago. Maybe over and over again, maybe longed for, but a prayer that certainly has dissipated over the years, has been given up upon, a prayer from the memory banks, an old prayer. And yet, Gabriel says, your prayers have been heard. Now, that's so cool. I just want to encourage you that prayers make a difference. Your prayers make a difference. Your prayers are heard. Your prayers are answered, even if it's many years later. 
Sometimes we know the answer is wait. Sometimes the answer is no. But sometimes the answer is yes, but it's going to be a really long time and you're not even going to see it. In this case, Zechariah and Elizabeth get to see it, but it seems like that was ages ago. Are you praying for something? Have you prayed for something? Have you given up praying for something? Friends, your prayers make a difference. And God will answer them in his good time. I used to pray every week consistently for the revival in the Canastillo Valley where Kristen and I first served. This uh, guy would come over to our house and we'd pray real early in the morning. You know what? I, I occasionally think about that and still pray for that. But in general, I'd say that's a prayer I haven't really been saying a lot lately because I don't live in the Canastillo Valley anymore. You know what? I don't think that those prayers are going to go unanswered. They haven't gone unheard. I think someday there's going to be, in God's perfect timing, a a revival in the Canastillo Valley, and my prayers will have made a difference. What prayers are you praying right now? What prayers have you forgotten to pray for a while because you've given up on it? Friends, God hears those prayers. Prayers make a difference. I hope that encourages you this Advent. Well, the description that Gabriel gives to Zechariah about his son, John, who we will call John the Baptist uh, in, in, in good time in the text, is amazingly wonderful. <coughs> I just want to describe this. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. That alone should have dropped Zechariah to the floor. You're kidding me. I, seriously? We're talking decades of wanting this. And you're going to name him John, okay? Sure. (laughs) That's great. I mean, if an angel comes and tells you, and praise the Lord, later on, Zechariah is obedient. He will be a joy and delight to you. Parents, how many of you want that? Almost more than anything else, that that would be what is said of your children that they were a joy and delight to you. Children, hear that. Even if you're an adult child, hear that. That 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 is a beautiful gift to your parents, that you would be a joy and delight to them. And many will rejoice because of his birth. This is going to be a community rejoicing moment. It's going to be awesome. These really old people that nobody ever thought would have a child are miraculously going to have a kid. It's, people are going to praise the Lord. It's going to be fascinating. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. That's something that I want God to say about me. Not, I mean, not in a selfish way, but in a, I hope that, I hope that in the sight of the Lord that God goes, yeah, cool. Great. Yay, Bill. I hope that he says that about you. That's a good prayer. Lord, my, not, not in the great in the sight of other people, but Lord, in your sight, my, might I be wonderful, great. Like, might I make you happy, Lord? That's a beautiful prayer. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. Zechariah knows immediately that this means that he will be uh, um, taking what, what we would call the Nazarite um, vow. This was typically in the Old Testament something that 
people would take only for a short amount of time, like maybe for a month or six months or a year or something like that, but never for a lifetime, except Samson was supposed to do this. He kind of blew it off. But John the Baptist is now supposed to be in this category too. He's a set-apart person. A set-apart person, which is not to say that alcohol or fermented drink or wine is bad. It's just in this particular context, one of the ways that you would be different. You would be radically different because everybody back then drank that. Um, It was sometimes hard to get clean water. It was a good, um, honest thing to drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Have you ever prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I hope you do. I hope you do it every day. John is described as being filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. We know it's true because when Mary shows up and Jesus is just a a, a very, very undeveloped fetus in in her womb, John, in his mother's womb, jumps for joy. The Spirit is strong in him even before he's born. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Sorry, I missed uh, verse 16. Many of the people of Israel, this is the Yoda verse. You ready? Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the people, to, to the Lord their God. Hear that? Hear that Yoda? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. That's a beautiful promise. That he'll be a person who brings people back to the Lord, reconnects people to God. And he he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah is like the greatest, strongest, most crazy, amazing Old Testament prophet. He's the one that appears also with Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. He's sort of like old school power. Okay, that's who Elijah is. And that's who John the Baptist is going to be just like. He's going to be uh, go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts, this is beautiful, to turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Wow, wouldn't our society be radically different if the hearts of the parents were turned to their children, turn not to sort of give their children everything they want, but, but to, to do right by and for their children. And, and the hearts of disobedient people were turned to the wisdom of the righteous. When you see something on television, some crazy crime that has occurred, wouldn't it be the world just be an amazing place if those folks' hearts were turned around and they became people who are oriented towards the wisdom of the righteous. Wow, powerful stuff. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So much involved here. All this is coming together as good news, which leads to this wonderful conclusion, friends. God is always at work behind the scenes. When an angel shows up to say, look, God's active and he's doing some stuff, it means God is always at work behind the scenes. I don't know what you're facing today, but this is good news. God is at work. God is active. He always sees the bigger reality. He always has a greater plan. God is not unaware. 
He is not distant. He is not asleep. He is not tired out. He is not discouraged. God is at work behind the scenes. And the fact that Gabriel shows up in this time of sort of of spiritual drought, in a sense, and says, cool things are going to happen. Friends, I hope that encourages you. Because that's exactly what God is saying to us in this text. He's at work behind the scenes. He's at work in this world even today. What are you worried about? What are you mm, trying to figure out how you're going to get around this? God is at work behind the scenes. God has this. God is on your side. He will help you. Sometimes he'll help you by giving you a kick in the pants. He will. And sometimes he'll help you by encouraging you when you are so down. God is at work behind the scenes. And Zechariah, in a kind of crazy twist here, hears this word from God and his reaction is is kind of amazing. He doesn't seem to be willing to believe this good news. He, He asks a question He says, how can I be sure of this? Now, he's standing next to Gabriel. No two people or persons have ever been in this same place at the same time for the same ritual. This unusual event is happening. The greatest prayer that he ever prayed, the heart's desire of his wife, who struggled in a society which valued women for having children, she struggled with being unable to conceive. This is her biggest goal. It was probably his biggest goal in life to have a child. But the doubt in his life gets the better of him. And he responds by saying, how can I be sure of this? Now, this is in contrast to Mary, who later asks Gabriel, how's this going to work? When he says to her, you're a virgin, but you're going to have a baby. She asks, saying, I'm ready to do whatever you say. Can you give me some specifics? Whereas Zechariah asks, you say this is going to happen? How do I know? How do I know? Well, Gabriel's going to give him an answer. The answer is, you're not going to be able to talk for nine months, buddy. Nine months of silence is going to be the proof, the answer to your question. You have this sort of doubt in your mind. Do you think maybe it's too hard for God to do this? You know, when we say things like that, we think, well, of course not. It's not too hard for God to do. Okay, take whatever you're worried in your life about. Now say, is it too hard for God to do? And you might say, Well, no, it's not technically too hard for God to do. But will he really do it? I don't know. And we're not necessarily talking about specifics in each one of our lives here. But we are saying, in a sense, God can do anything. And if he's at work behind the scenes, he will work in ways which are helpful and positive to you. Even if it's different than you thought it would be. Even if it comes out in strange ways. No matter what. God is at work. And we, I don't know, I I don't know about you, but I am tempted to sometimes say, 
really, God, are you going to work this out? I mean, frankly, I'm a little bit too much like Zechariah. It scares me. Are you going to do this, God? How's this going to work? Really? Is God saying anything to you right now and you're saying, "Mm, I don't know. Could that be possible? Friends, when God reaches out to us, it changes us forever. It changes us forever. In the case of the world, God reaches out through Gabriel. The son of God is going to come. He's going to be announced by this, this, uh, this man, John the Baptist. The savior of the world is coming. It's going to change everything. In the case of Zechariah, he's rendered mute for the next nine months. But, wow, his faith grows. I mean, he's a believer. The moment that he walks out on the temple steps and goes, and like, has to start learning sign language. That's his moment when he's like, wow, whatever that angel said in there, it's true. It's going to go down just the way he said. His muteness is proof that the promise is true. And friends, he is obedient. When they ask, what will the child's name be? And people are saying, uh, Elizabeth is saying John. And they're saying, what? Come on. Nobody in your family's named John. And Zechariah says, his name is John. Bam, he can talk. And what, what happens? The first words that come out of his mouth, praise to God, it says, verse 64. He praises God. He's just like, yes, God is so cool. In Elizabeth's case, Elizabeth she is super blessed by this. This is her dream come true. This is her uh, validation, whether that's appropriate or not, in the eyes of the other members of the community. That, that she's been blessed in this certain way. Now, we know that that's not the only way that people are blessed, but that's uh, something for her, experientially, that feels amazing. And I just want to say this. Others are blessed through our obedience. Through the obedience, although it came through, you know, kind of a questioning attitude, through Zechariah's obedience, Elizabeth is blessed. Zechariah went home, and he still had to sleep with Elizabeth. To make this happen. He still had to go home and do that. That was obedience. To the promise that was there. And through his obedience. She is blessed. Others are blessed through our obedience. If you are obedient to what God is calling you to do. Other people will be blessed in your life. Parents. Your children will be blessed. If you are obedient. To to the Lord. In serving them, children, your parents will be blessed if you are obedient. If you are obedient, that's a huge blessing to them. Christians, your neighbors will be blessed if you are obedient. Your, your fellow co-workers will be blessed people if you are obedient to the Lord. Your obedience as a Christian will spill out in positive ways to other people. Friends, here's the bottom line. No matter how silent your night is right now, God is at work behind the scenes. That's what I want you to remember. God is at work behind the scenes. And the reason I want you to remember it is because it's hope for you and for this whole world. I, uh, I want you to do something for me this week this first week of the Christian year, this first week of Advent. I don't know about you, but my Christmas list, not like the things to buy, like the things to do. You know what I'm talking about? That huge list, 
to-do list before Christmas, that thing is a mile long. There's a lot on that list. But I don't want to miss the fact that God might be speaking to me. And so I want to encourage you to do something that I'm going to do. I'm going to stop and listen. Stop and listen. Just that simple a thing. I'm just going to take five minutes a day. I don't know when that will be. I'm going to work that out, but it's starting today. I'm going to take five minutes a day, and I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to be like, God, you got anything for me today? I love you. I just don't want the to-do list to take over. I'm going to stop and listen and realize that you're working behind the scenes. I think if you and I do that, the difference it will make in our lives is it will reorient us to what God is doing. It will remind us that he has a plan, that he's given us a purpose, that we have a story that explains the world, that we get to share with other people, that we have a God who can be known, that we have a God who cares. And sometimes in the craziness of life, you just have to stop and listen. And so just grab your bulletins right now. There's a pencil in front of you. I want you to just write on a scrap of paper on the side of your bulletin something. I just want you to write those three words, stop and listen, and shove that thing in your pocket and go home and put it on your calendar or put it on the, 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 uh, the mirror in, in front of your, you know, uh, where you brush your teeth. Do something. Put it in your car, on your steering wheel. Stop and listen. Stop and listen. Friends, I think the difference this Advent, if you just stop and listen and realize that God is on our side, working behind the scenes, that he's at work in the world, and that he's sending us messages through his angels to remind us of that. That will be so powerful. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the fact that you are at work behind the scenes and that you're willing to communicate with us. You sent an angel to Zechariah long ago. You send many messages to us today. Thank you for your grace for the fact that you don't give up on us, for the fact that nothing is too hard for you. Thank you that in the silence of our lives when we're wondering, is God even out there? Am I even connected to him that you, you are at work and that you will be doing good in this world? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Encourage us as we enter the Advent season preparing for Christmas. Encourage us now to stop and listen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.